Welcome to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Roman Loyola with Jason Cross. Hello. And Life Johnson. Howdy. So uh, before we get on with the show, I'd like to talk about the podcast's new format. The main difference is that we're going back to an audio-only format. So if you've been uh, joining us on the live video feed, thank you very much. But moving forward, you can get the podcast on the Macworld channel on iTunes and SoundCloud as well as on Macworld.com. In addition, the podcast now has new segments. We'll kick off with, a new, with the news, followed by a deeper discussion on a featured topic. And then after that, we'll have a new segment called Two Minute Tip. And then we'll wrap up with hot takes posted to the Twitter and Facebook uh, accounts of Macworld. So these are audience, these are reader uh, comments that uh, in, in reaction to news to articles that we posted or news that has hit the wires. So, uh, so that's the new podcast that we're going to be kicking off with today's podcast. <laughs> so why don't we get started with the, uh, the news for today? So, or, or for the past week, couple weeks actually, cause we took last week off. Mm-hmm. So, uh, right. so uh, I guess the big news isn't, Specifically, Apple news, but it does. It's very much applicable to to Apple. Oh, yeah. is that there's a new USB four spec uh, that, and the big, I, I guess, the big overall arching thing to understand about USB four mm-hmm. is that it is essentially very much. Well, how do I say this? Very much compatible with Thunderbolt three. Is it, is it fair yeah, to say, yeah. Jason, that it's, it's 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 I don't want to say it is Thunderbolt three, mm-hmm. but there's a right. lot of backwards. Well, they announced so there's no real spec yet, but they announced right. as the name and intention and stuff like that, and now they have the the spec will be out in the middle of this year, and then everyone can start building parts. But what it sounds like it is, and there's some details we don't know yet, of course, is that this is Thunderbolt three. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. And it's backward compatible with all the USB. Thunderbolt is an Intel specific thing. Like they own Thunderbolt and they promised last year to make it um, open to other people, but they still, the Thunderbolt brand and it is still trademarked by them and they still test Thunderbolt products, you know, for compatibility and stuff. So this sounds like USB 4 will just be. USB 3.2 with Thunderbolt 3 compatibility, but for everyone, for anybody who makes a USB product without having to license anything or use a trademark brand or anything like that. And it's supposed to support, it has all the bandwidth Thunderbolt 3 does. It should support the same like dual 4K monitors and stuff like that. So, and, and it's backwards compatible with Thunderbolt 3. You could plug in a Thunderbolt 3 thing and it should work, supposedly. <laughs> like you said, there's no spec. But the good news about this is it means that like you could already make Thunderbolt 3 things on a non-Intel product, but you'd have to – you used to have to license Thunderbolt 3 from Intel. Now you wouldn't have to do that, but it's still a trademark thing from them, so they have to approve it and test it and all this other stuff. Now it's just like making any other USB port. All the different chip makers and everybody who makes USB stuff could make something that's essentially a Thunderbolt 3 product. Yeah, and the the Thunderbolt, or I'm sorry, the USB four announcement comes on the heels of the Thunder or USB was it three dot 
two announcement or was it the three? <laughs> they just changed up all the names yeah. of USB yeah. three <laughs> to make them even more confusing. There's a three dot two and a three dot one and a USB three two by two is going to be some marketing name. I don't even know. It's so confusing. Yeah. They changed all the USB three things to new names and numbers. So this new Thunderbolt three slash USB four uh, thing. I mean, is it is there anything that Apple people people who use MacBooks and Macs and stuff like that is, is there anything that they need to be concerned about? Uh, well, there I, I know be... it's hard to say because the spec isn't out yet. But... Yeah, there should be no problem for any existing Thunderbolt product from Apple. Right. And the, the question yeah. will be whether or not if they're so exactly the same that they will literally be able to also claim their USB four compatible right. once the spec is out. That would be nice, but that's not necessarily guaranteed and it wouldn't happen. The only thing that this means for Apple is that Apple products that don't use Intel's chipsets, things that aren't Macs, or if they start making Macs with their own chips or with AMD's chips or something like that. They could conceivably make those USB 4 compatible, and then all the Thunderbolt 3 stuff you've got, hard drives and stuff, should be able to plug into there and work. And that's a future thing, of course. That would right. be future products. But it means that you could see Thunderbolt, essentially, Thunderbolt 3 on Macs that aren't Intel products. And didn't Intel... Um... Uh, is, is saying releasing the spec of three point mm -hmm. two? Didn't they do that last week or so? Or not? Or opened it? I don't want to say open sourced it, but they kind of opened it up for developers. They, um, what they did is they made the uh, Thunderbolt three spec available royalty free. Right, that's what they did. Yeah. Um, but they still own the trademark on Thunderbolt and yeah. Thunderbolt three, and they still have to. They still run their uh, program where they test. Thunderbolt products for compatibility before they put their stamp on it and say, yes, you can say this is a Thunderbolt three product. Um, so, and they're, they say they're still going to keep doing that, which, yeah. you know, uh, we'll see what happens once there's a th USB four spec and then people start making USB four products. Maybe that won't, won't be necessary anymore, but that's going to be some time out. Yeah. So some interesting developments on the Thunderbolt slash USB um, uh, technology that we'll be keeping an eye out for. I'm just glad they gave it a reasonable name. Yeah, that's that's a big. <laughs> Although, one. to to be fair, as somebody pointed out, the the USB promoters group is the ones who come up with these specs. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're not the ones who who name them for the public. That's the USB implementers forum, which would do this after the spec is done. So, what the what is technically called USB 4 may end up on the market with a name like USB 3.2 40 gigabit, blah, 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 whatever. Some confusing thing that's barely different than what they have now. Yeah. Hopefully we just see products on the market called USB 4 and it's clear and it just gets away from all the confusion. Uh, some inside baseball for our listeners. So our, our uh, companions over at PC World have been like tracking this story and uh, it's Gordon Maung and Mark Hockman who work or editors over at PC World, and they go into <laughs> they go into a conference room to uh, do a conference call with 
in regards to this. They come out, and like Gordon came out the other day and was just had this look like he had just been like beaten up, beaten up by <laughs> as a hostage. And I was like, and he just looked at me like he was just totally. And so we we talked about it for a while. He had we had to talk about it so he could like sort it all out in his head. Yeah. So because it's just so it's all kind of convoluted and confusing. And the thing was, he had a bunch of questions for them for Intel about the spec, but they didn't have any defined answers because they haven't finalized the spec yet. So yeah, this so this whole USB drama is kind. Of, it's become a drama of some sorts. Yeah, so. and if we can't keep it straight <laughs> in our heads, and we do this for a living, yeah, what hope do regular consumers have yeah. of understanding? Yeah. I think that's that's right. The big thing. Yeah, and that was the big thing that Gordon was trying to convey to them is like, mm-hmm. you know, we're, you know, this is just confusing. You guys, you guys need to fix this. And I think they know it's confusing. But I think the funny thing is they I, trying to figure out a way to make it unconfusing is seems to be a challenge. So, yeah. yeah. Anyways, yeah, USB 4 is something we'll be keeping an eye out on, and I'm sure we'll have, uh, when the spec comes out, we can talk about that in more detail. So, Moving right along, uh, Apple announced the winners of its Shot on iPhone challenge last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, some pretty cool photos uh, that people take with their iPhones. And interesting enough, there there, there was a variety of different phones i was sure that like the uh, winners would be dominated by the latest phones but no there were some i think there were some iphone 8s in there and yeah yeah some yeah. other iphones in there so the funny th- the thing is i look at these photos and i always think how come i can't seem to get that <laughs> well, you know, yeah. I, was saying, I was looking at it and i was almost wondering like what were the rest of the trees like <laughs> i mean they're, they're beautiful i especially love the more abstract ones there there were a couple of the yeah but uh yeah at the same time i mean like the one of the the you know the kid in front of el capitan um it was or excuse me half dome it was you know i thought that was uh beautiful but you know I, I didn't know that it was great and it was like the one of the field i was like i've taken shots like that before <laughs> anyway but yeah it's, it's uh it's it, you know it's there is some fear too I, that I think some people, you know, remember there was the, the licensing, you know, worry that people who really did take good photos, it was like, hmm, am I going to get any money for this? But as Jason pointed out in his article, they did give some of that. Yeah, they changed their mind and decided they're going to pay the winners a licensing fee. They didn't want to do that at first because they were like, well, this is not supposed to be for pro photographers. Right. Right. right but on right. The, uh, the other hand, they're like, yeah, this is going to, you're going to use this in all your billboards and, and, uh, in your stores and on ad campaigns and all this other stuff, and then you're not going to pay people for their photos. Yeah, like it's freaking Apple. It reminds me of like being a freelancer. Yeah. Where, yo, it's the exposure. You're going to be putting this on a billboard, and you're going to give me that exposure line. No, give me the yeah. money. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I I get the point of they just don't they don't want to turn it into a thing where just professionals do this. They want it. They want it to keep it to amateurs and professionals will be like, it's not worth my time if I'm not getting paid. And I get that, but that's still kind of cheap. So, and you still own the photograph, which is nice. Yes. You don't, they're not taking your copyright to it. They, you give them a, you're just for sending it into the contest. You gave them a license to use it, mm-hmm. a like free worldwide, non-revocable, non-exclusive license to use it as much as they want, but you still own that photograph. So that's good. Yeah. Th- th- and I was surprised to see this, but there's no, 
they actually specifically say there's no limit on you using any other gear. Mm-hmm. Like it has to, the shot has to be taken on an iPhone, but you can use snap on lenses. You can post process mm-hmm. it. You can do whatever, you know, I'd be, I was, I'd be interested to know what, uh, photo apps the people who the contest winners use did they use the built-in camera app or did they use a third-party app that gave you more control so there was a lot of them like the black and white one where you know that looks pretty standard like almost using the black and white filter on the the i mean there there was nothing in there that struck me because i i am a person that tinkers around and instagram and some you know snapseed and stuff with my photos and I gotta admit, a lot of that, that that was one of the things I was thinking when Jason was saying about the, you know, peripherals and stuff, is that yeah, a lot of this looks like straight out of the phone. Um, so I almost wondered if they emphasize that. But uh the shadows look a little too good on the one of the field, but you know, on the clouds for an, a phone shot, judging from my experience. Yeah, there's one photo, the one with the raccoon, I was like is that a real photo? You use carbon. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, there was just it's a taxidermied raccoon. They don't say it's a live raccoon. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, the photos are pretty cool, and I, I wish I could take. I, I try very hard to take photos like that, and it just doesn't work out for me. So, but yeah, the, the one in the skill. Singapore that was taken with the 10s Max. Um, I love that one where it looks like abstract. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The the, re, the reflection of the building. Yes. Yeah, that that's the coolest one I, I think. So yeah, it's a wide variety. A lot of portraits, landscapes. Yeah. You know, uh, like you said, creative reflection shots, bright yeah. color popping stuff, black and whites. They they really ran the gamut. So yeah, some cool stuff. So if you're interested in checking out those photos. Uh, we have a story on macworld.com and that that story has a link that will take you to the winners uh, of the contest. So some cool stuff there. So yep. our next news story involves the Apple Watch and there was a report that uh, Apple's working on sleep tracking features for future Apple Watches. So this has kind of been a feature that people seem I think at this point now you can say it might be the number one feature that people want mm-hmm. out of out of the out of the Apple Watch. What's remaining? Yeah. True. Yeah. yeah. But there are some apps that you can use now. Um, and I forget the name. Well, Jason, you, you know the names of, the, of those. Yeah, the, the, my two favorites for this are um, Auto Sleep, which only that's all it does is sleep tracking on your watch and it's automatic. Uh, and pillow, which does that, and it has pillow's got a few other features about, you know, you if you want to use your phone as well, you can record yourself snoring and see check things like that and stuff like that. It's a little more full featured, um, but all the sleep's got a great way to do it. One thing Jason pointed out in this article is that, you know, the battery really has to get a lot better before this works. Um, I admit that, you know, I don't plan on, I, don't, I have never used these sleep tracking apps. It just doesn't interest me that much. However, I do use my Apple Watch as an alarm clock. Um, so I don't wake up my roommate or something like that. So I like that the vibration, you know, keeps me awake. So usually what I do before I go to bed is I, I try to charge up the watch and then I put it on. And, uh, but, if people are going to expect to use this for sleep tracking and use it throughout the day and stuff, yeah, the battery life is definitely going to have to get a lot better because I mm-hmm. I can never make it a full day without charging. 
It was it was disappointing to see that the um, the report seemed to suggest that it's for a, a future Apple Watch, mm-hmm. not necessarily for a Watch OS update. Mm-hmm. And it, maybe those maybe it's just the way they worded it. There it could come in a Watch OS update, but it, it and it also seemed to suggest it's coming next year's Apple Watch, like 2020, not 2019. So. You know, that's, that feels like it's, it's a long way to wait when Fitbit and then stuff has it now. But on the other hand, it could, that could be the issue that they need several day battery life to really make it work for people. I charge my watch. I I take my watch off when I take a shower and let it charge up fully. Mm -hmm. And then I, then I put it back on and wear it all night with sleep tracking, sleep, the sleep tracking for like auto sleep or something doesn't really hurt your battery life that much mm-hmm. I, w- I usually wake up with like 80 percent and then wear it all day till the next evening and that's fine but if somebody does a lot of outdoor activity tracking or something they're just not going to make it through the day that's just and yeah I, I, it's just it's too much battery i think that's a point important point too when people who don't have apple watches to worry about the battery yeah the shower I, a lot of people choose the shower as the time to recharge it and usually that yeah. gets a pretty hefty charge out of it so it doesn't take that long to charge it right because people and it's also the charge. issue of like if it's a watch os update mm-hmm. it might only be available for something like the apple watch 4 series 4 mm-hmm. just because they put uh more sensitive um like motion sensors and stuff in there. That would be my new generation of things. So my guess is if we see this in a watch update, a watch OS update, it's not going to be for the series three or earlier for, for battery and for like sensors reasons. (laughs) So Jason, when you, when you are doing sleep tracking, what are you, what are you Mm -hmm. looking for or, or what, what kind of information do you get out of that? Um, I, so I use auto sleep now because it, the way it works is you, you just install auto sleep and, you know, step through the little tutorial on the app and then you just go to sleep. It just knows it looks at your heart rate. It looks at your motion. It goes, you, you're asleep right now and it knows when you wake up and it gives you a report at one time of the day that you can set. So for me, it's 10 a.m. I get a little notification and it says you slept for this many hours last in the last day. Mm-hmm. And then um, it also you can look at detail of that and see how much deep sleep did I get? How much light sleep? How many times did I wake up? You know, so you can get a feel for, am I getting a good quality amount of sleep or was I in bed for eight hours, but I really got five hours of sleep and the rest of the time I was, I was up, I was tossing and turning. It was whatever. And, so and for somebody, I'm, Go ahead. I'm a real light sleeper. So I get a lot of interruptions just cause I hear a noise or whatever, you know, Basically, I was wondering what the benefit of that information is. It was like, yeah, I, don't, I, I know I don't sleep well. Uh, congratulations, watch. Yeah, you told me something I already knew. <laughs> I mean, but does it give you, you advice on how to uh, to improve it? Uh, well, there is. There's a ton of that around, and a lot. Most of these apps do have some links, but it's not dynamically adjusted to the data it sees. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's going to say, well, you you get a lot of sleep, but it's very little of it's deep sleep, and you should try doing this. Or whatever, it gives you general advice, like you know, about going to bed earlier or getting more exercise, or you know, avoiding distractions, turning on white noise, all these other things. You know, um, the I think the detail that I get out of it that's a benefit to me is I can see 
you know, some I sometimes I feel like I didn't get a lot of sleep and I can go and see. No, I, I did. I got a good night's sleep. I feel terrible for some other reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, it helped me do things like it gives you it gives you the opportunity to experiment and then see the results like, oh, you know what? I, I should get a white noise machine or turn on my white noise app on my phone and see if that helps. And you can do that for a week and you can compare with actual numbers <laughs> this week versus the previous week. Did I get more sleep with the white noise machine on? Did I get more deep sleep? Whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah so I hope that uh, when Apple does it, they put their sort of what Apple tends to do is not give you a ton of really detailed data. Right. They tend to do a lot of experiment experimenting like internal to Apple before they roll out a feature and then they make it really simple for people. And I think that's the benefit they could bring to this that whether you're you know Fitbit or any of these other sleep trackers don't really do is that they could just say, "Hey, wear your Apple Watch to bed and then at the end of the week we'll give you some weekly report that just says you're not getting enough sleep." Try and go to bed earlier or, you know, because because you're you have you always wake up at the same time. Presumably that's when your alarm goes off. You know, some they can build some intelligence into this that just makes it simple for people. That's a good point. Much like to do with the activity app. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. So that just about wraps up for the big news stories for this coming week or this past week. Uh, although there was one topic that has came up uh, it's actually been kind of uh it's come up last week but it's kind of been it's been growing in terms of in the apple sphere especially but in, oh here it goes in the big smart it's actually a big smartphone discussion is uh 5g is coming um uh, it's been making a lot of noise lately uh and i think it's even gotten to a point now where people are shopping for phones and they're asking about i uh, they're asking about 5g support uh but the thing is, 5G, while it's making a lot of noise, it's not really here yet. No. So, I think we're at that point where there's not much exciting, like the foldable phone bit. There's not much exciting going on the phones right now. And they're so really trying to come up with something that's yeah. exciting. And that's somewhat exciting. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I think that's part of the reason for the hype right now is they're looking for something. Yeah. And there's definitely nothing exciting on the carrier side. Like... Phones can keep getting better or whatever, but that doesn't get you to switch to a different carrier or whatever. What the carriers have nothing to hype. So 5G is their next big thing, you know, that yeah. they're super, super excited about because that's how they're going to get more customers or something. So why don't we start at the beginning in terms of this 5G discussion? So what? So what is 5G for people who are listening in and are not quite familiar with? I mean, they, they know, understand what 4G and 3G and all this stuff that's happening with cell phones. But what, what is 5G? Uh, the, the, that could be an entire podcast. Right. Own, but I'll, I'll, I'll try and be as simple as possible. Yeah. It is basically the successor to LTE mm-hmm. with a, a whole new way. Uh, there's new radio technologies and new ways of encoding data and new ways of the cell towers interacting with phones. That would should allow for things like a lot more bandwidth, much lower latency. It should allow for products that have to have really, really high quality of service, like emergency things, like automobiles, stuff like that, to have really reliable connections, you know, on a sort of separate band. Uh, and um, and a lot more 
devices connecting to a single cell, like many, many, many times more devices connecting to a single cell. So you don't get that issue where it's like, well, I get a good signal, but I can't, I can't connect because I'm at the ballpark with, and trying to connect with a jillion other people (laughs) in the same, connecting to the same cell. And I think Um, people are really, you know, they're in love with the idea of the speed, you know, that you can get yeah. crazy boost in speed, but because it uses this uh, higher frequency band, it's, you know, the potential for blocking the signal is a lot greater, isn't it, than it is with currently with the, the 4G. Right. Yeah. So 5G incorporates the technologies for 5G, all the better encoding and radio technology and stuff can, can work on and will work on, they will have. All the sub six gigahertz stuff that we have today, all the bands that are used by LTD today, 600 megahertz all the way up to 3.2 gigahertz, whatever. Um, But it also has these new bands called millimeter wave bands that are in the tens of gigahertz, I believe. I was around Um, 24, up to. Yeah, 24 gigahertz, something like that. And and up 40 gigahertz, I think, is one band something. And they're all those you can get a lot those high frequencies you can get a lot of bandwidth in them but they don't go far mm-hmm. and they don't penetrate physical objects very well trees block them uh, windows walls like if you think you have a problem going into a building and get losing your signal now uh those millimeter wave things are going to be much worse so you need a lot more towers to cover a certain area mm-hmm. and um, you, you really have line of sight to the tower. Anything that blocks line of sight is going to be really challenging. So real 5G is going to have to be those in dense urban areas where you and give you really, really great, great bandwidth. But it's also going to have to include 5G over all the existing uh, frequencies that we use for LTE today to make sure that you have coverage. And this is a big point about it being, you know, on the urban areas because I was hearing people say, oh, it's going to change a lot of things. I like AI on, you know, smart farms. But, you know, the <laughs> thing, yeah, you're really going to have to need a lot more towers than that. And having previously lived in an area of rural connection, yeah, it's going to, trust me, there's a lot of obstructions over there when you're counting on one tower to, you know, power many square miles. And it's, you know, I, I've heard people, you know, that, there's one person that really wants it to go, you know, out towards the country and stuff. But, you know, if we start seeing this around in the cities in like 2020, you know, rural areas, it's not going to be like till 2023 or later. So, yes or no, it's, this is all going to depend on the carriers. That's so at and and Verizon are really trying to roll out that millimeter wave stuff. They want that high bandwidth. They want to say, yeah, get your gigabit service and all this stuff, multi gigabit even. Um, but, you know, Sacramento, which is you know where I live, mm-hmm. is an area where Verizon got like a special deal with the city and built out 5G in the city. And it's kind of a pre-5G technology. It'll get upgraded to the official spec. But they put in uh, something like 100, 400 towers or so, and they have, are covering a tiny speck of the city. And it's not for mobile. This is for terrestrial to replace your wired internet. Mm-hmm. Um and, and it's still covering a tiny fraction of even the areas that they say it's going to be in. They would need they need 10 times as many towers in order to cover all of this with millimeter wave. Yeah. Uh, but one of the reasons T-Mobile, for example, have kind of just recently said we're delaying our launch of 5G to the second half of this year instead of the first half of this year is because they're doing it from their 600 megahertz band on up. So even their 600 megahertz towers will get upgraded to 5G, and they want to make sure that when they launch, they're like, 
they they want to launch with that coverage map that shows our 5G coverage kills everybody else's. Even though the speeds won't be as great at that frequency, they'll be able to claim coverage. And at 600 megahertz, one tower co- covers dozens of square miles. It's, it's huge. So it, it, it's going to be up until... I, the spec I read is it's going to be 2023 or 2024 before 75% of the population is able to get 5G mm-hmm. signal. That doesn't mean that you have it. Your, your, your preferred carrier offers it in your area. But you'll actually have a 5G coverage for 75% of the population like five years from now. So it's not coming that quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has, has AT&T and Verizon announced when? They, they play yeah, I was earlier last year. Yeah. yeah, so Verizon's launched in a few cities, and it's that same situation as Sacramento. It's it's a terrestrial thing. It's not yeah. quite real five G, um, and it's not not a lot of coverage, but it's in like a dozen cities. AT and T is has service available now. It's mobile service, and it's in a few cities, but there's no phone available. Mm-hmm. So really, they don't. <laughs> Because there's there is no mobile phone with 5G yet that you can go buy from them that works on it. So, so but they're but they're building right on the bright side. It's very you know it's forward looking. So when it stuff is does very drop, yeah, that's ready to go. Yeah, as opposed to people get this cool new phone. It's like I can't do anything with it. Why doesn't it work the way they promise? And but some people will actually be able to and, take advantage of that. And it's going to be rough. Like there's these first 5G modems are the very first ones. It's a separate modem in your phone for 5G than it is for the 4G stuff. So you have two modems in your phone. The, we don't know how much power it's going to use, but yeah. it's probably a lot. Uh, you need a lot of antennas to really make the, especially the millimeter wave stuff work. Requires on it, they're relying on like instead of a four by four MIMO, they're they're relying on like lots of antennas. And your hand can block the signal, so you need a lot of antennas so that there are always some unobscured ones. You're holding it wrong. Yeah. Yeah, you can really easily get into a you're holding it wrong situation. So these very first, you you can run out and get one of the first 5G phones this year. Uh, and if you're lucky enough to live in an area where there'll be 5G service, that'll be great. But you'll lose it quickly when you go anywhere. <laughs> and and uh, you may not be happy with what it does to your battery life, right. you know, or whatever. It's It's going to be a little sketchy. And that second generation, kind of next year, we're going to see these second generation modems that it's one modem that does all the 4G and 3G and 2G and 5G stuff and supports everything and are a little more power efficient. They'll have experimented more with the antennas and know what they're doing. I, you know, I think you'd be a lot happier buying that kind of second gen 5G phone. And I think that's why that's Apple is waiting better. is so, you know. Everybody else is rushing to be able to say, oh, I got this 5G phone now and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if Apple did that, you never hear the end of it. Oh, this doesn't work. My battery life lasts six hours. Uh, something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That and I think they really are just because of how densely packed the inside of an iPhone is and how they're unwilling to make it thick. Mm-hmm. Um, they really don't want to put a second modem in there. They're really waiting for those all-in-one modems. Yeah. And they're just not ready yet. Yeah, so we won't see a 5G iPhone this year. Doubtful. Doubt, doubtful. Very doubtful, yeah. Which even I won't say no, but yeah, maybe even next year, 2020, yeah, I don't know. The the speculation is 2020 because the roadmap for Intel's 
I think it's called the 8160. I can't remember which modem, but they're sort of second generation. I, they, Intel did a weird thing. They took their first generation 5G modem and officially the, that people were using to test stuff and officially said, oh, that's not a real product. That's only ever for testing things yeah. because nobody wanted to make a real product with it. <laughs> so their first gen, which is really the second gen modem, should be out in time for Apple to build it into an iPhone for 2020 because Apple's late in the year. So it should should be able, but again, we don't know until that's just their t- timetable. Things get late sometimes. Yeah. So. Yeah, well we'll have to wait sit and wait for 5G iPhone 5G. So I, I have you to know, admit it's one of those things like foldable phones that, you know, I know it's going to be great and I know it's going to be wonderful when I have it, but I'm not that excited about it. Generally, you know, I'm I am okay. I would, you know, I know the future needs to progress and everything, but I'm I'm happy with my phone. The way it is, the thing I would like to have is more consistent coverage. It's like we were having a conversation on Slack this yeah. morning and kept losing connection. And so, you know, my responses were like three minutes out of whack. Well, a lot of what five, well, a lot of what's in that 5G spec is, uh, should really help with that. Okay. Should, at the lower frequencies, at the frequencies you do today, should be able to get better coverage in better areas, more secure, more like reliable coverage in more areas. But again, yeah, it's going to take time before we're, we're there with all that stuff before they upgrade all the towers and get good modems and phones and stuff. Uh, for me, the exciting thing about it is it's enough bandwidth with a low enough latency mm-hmm. to replace your wired home connection. Yes. Once it starts to Ooh. blanket the cities and stuff like that, you could have an antenna, you can have an internal, you know, modem <laughs> just for your house. And that would be, that would connect to that cellular um, thing. And then that means suddenly you have actual real competition for your home internet. You know, you'd be able, all the, all the mobile carriers eventually could just be, sell you home internet plus, you know, Comcast or whoever you've got now, spectrum, whatever's your cable monopoly you've got. (laughs) So that'd be nice to see some competition. To give you an idea of how that works. Uh, when I was living out on a ranch in Texas, my the home internet that I had to pay a hundred dollars a month for was not as good as my Verizon <laughs> cellular. And so, yeah. towards the end there, I was happy I had the unlimited plan. Um, I was mainly just using my hotspot for everything. My my phone was literally powering everything, and it was great. Uh, but that shows you, you know, just how well like these, you know, four G LTE networks can work compared to what's available in some parts of the country because it literally was an improvement. Yep. Yeah. So could we see a MacBook with it, with a cellular modem? I don't know why they don't do that now. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either, but yeah, it's almost like they don't want the iPad traffic to go away or something. Well, I know a lot of people who tether to their, to their cell phones when they, when they're using their, their laptops. I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, Apple makes it easy, but you know, they, they, like they sell, like you said, they sell iPads with an internal SIM yeah. that, that let you buy a data only plan and, uh, for multiple carriers. And I, you know, there are PC laptops that do this. I don't know why they don't do this on yeah. MacBooks. It makes it's kind of frustrating to do it. Yeah. So, well, that's another technology we'll be looking forward to 5G on the horizon, keeping track of the developments of 5G. 
and when it will be available for uh, Apple products. So now it's time for our two-minute tip. This is a new segment to the podcast. Uh, and on this part of the show, a Macworld staffer will present a quick tip for your Apple device. And this week, our tip is by Jason himself. Uh, and Jason's going to explain how we on the Apple Watch you can change the app list uh, from the hex grid to a list. So, right, I think you know it's surprising that how many people don't seem to realize this exists. So when you press the yeah. crown on your Apple Watch, you see all of your apps in little circles that are completely unlabeled, and there's no rhyme or reason to the way that they're listed. It's just a big cloud of apps that you have to kind of pan around to and it's difficult to use all you have to do is when you see that cloud of apps give a hard press on your screen and you'll see uh, an option for grid view or list view hit list view and then you get a vertically scrolling list it's alphabetical there are nice clear labels nice big tap targets and you can scroll through it using the crown so that's a lot easier way to find and launch the app you're looking for and it remembers your settings so you if you want to set it back, you just hard press again, choose hex view. There you go. Yeah, that yeah. was way less than two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because it's it's a setting that I I one of the reasons why I never use the apps on my phone is because or on my watch is because like I go into that grid view and I'd be like I can't find my app. But, all right, never mind. <laughs> I actually kind of yeah. prefer the grid view, but the, the, I do spend a lot of time arranging it to where. The ones I use the most are right there when I open it. Yeah. But, so that takes time. So if it's more alphabetical and stuff, it's easier just to scroll through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the list view, it isn't as cool looking as the, the uh, grid view. Mm -hmm. But because um, the grid view also, you know, when you pick it, pick the icon, the icon enlarges. And then it's, you know, when you move it around, it looks pretty cool. And the list view is very utilitarian. Utilitarian. <laughs> you know, it's just a list views so but it yeah. was a more practical uh -huh. use yeah so another problem i've noticed with yeah. the grid view is that a lot of icons kind of look the same and it gets confusing yeah. which so. ones is that's the yeah, yeah that's my issue is i don't know what little circle icon is which app necessarily <laughs> yeah uh it's even worse now that there's a heart rate and an ekg app right and i'm not sure oh yeah um but it does do that cool thing where if you use the crown on the on the grid view it slowly like zooms in to whatever's in the middle right so you can just center it and like zoom it. it's like a cool like effect it's totally impractical yeah, you should just tap it everyone just taps it but it's cool looking <laughs> so, yeah well thank you very much jason for that tip if you have an apple watch go go uh change your, your try this view. <laughs> try it out you might like it so i know i do <laughs> so so our final segment of the show is uh, Your Hot Takes. Woo. This is where we love to read your comments and questions. So uh, for people who don't, aren't familiar, Macworld, we like to uh, tweet out our stories, our comments and stuff on Twitter. We also do it on Facebook. And we often get response, responses from people who will follow us. So this is an opportunity to highlight some of those uh, hot takes that we get from, uh, from the readers. Uh, the, our first one is uh, in regards to sleep tracking on the Apple Watch from at Colin H1972. Uh, and he says that sleep tracking for him is when it's on its charger unless they can <laughs> add kinetic recharging. 
So just wearing and moving keeps it charged. There's always going to be missing tracking while it sits on the on its charger. So I guess his point is it's about battery life. Yeah. You know. yeah, I think a lot of people charge their watch when they don't sleep with their watch on. They charge the yeah. watch while they sleep. Um, and you like like you said like we said earlier you you could do an an hour of any other time of day charging it and it kind of goes and it kind of doesn't. Yeah, battery life's an issue. Yeah. Battery life's an issue, and it's probably the main issue why they haven't released the sleep tracking yet. So, yeah, that's a good point. So and that's always been kind of the, the the drawback of the Apple Watch compared to its competitors. But yeah, it does everything else so well. So. Yeah, I don't sleep with my Apple Watch on. I, I and it's not because it doesn't have sleep tracking. I just don't want it <laughs> so because I know what'll happen is I'll try to go to sleep and I'll keep thinking my Apple Watch is on. My yeah, Apple Watch is on. it's just another thing to kind of like distract me for no reason. So yeah. mm-hmm. just another thing I, I keep I'll think about. You know, it's like oh, that. that's why I'm not getting good sleep. Right, it's that you know, <laughs> you know, and the thing is when when you're having a hard time trying to go to sleep, some you start to nitpick over the little things like oh my sheets are all wrong or you know the temperature's not quite right or you know I'm sleeping and my I need to go on my side, not my back. And, you know, my Apple I Watch definitely have those problems. <laughs> and I was surprised how comfortable it is to wear an Apple Watch to sleep as long as you don't have like a hard metal band. Yeah. Um, but you definitely have to go pull up the control center on it and put on the theater mode. Because mm-hmm. when it's dark and it, you just roll over and your watch lights up and that's way distracting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, our next hot take is in regards to folding fro- phones from at RevDevNick. Uh, we had a story on our site about how – and it was uh, a story by Mike Simon in response to the folding phones that have been uh, previewed by is it oh, Huawei, Huawei and, and Samsung. And, Samsung. Mm-hmm. and um, Mike Simon basically wrote a star- story saying that Apple needs to come out with one so they can show how it's, how it's done properly – Mm-hmm. Peer pressure. Yeah. <laughs> so, and at Dev, at, let me get his name right. Rev Dev Nick said in response to that story that, you know, folding phones, this is a gimmick, not something the market wants. People want battery life, better durability, and they want faster phones. And those are more important. And, you know, I agree with him on, on that point. I so, I, mm-hmm. um, although I love the big screen mm-hmm. and, as much as I think I wouldn't want to invest in a folding phone, I've never actually held the one and used one. So I, you know, I, I might like, might fall in love with that giant screen. I, I don't know until I actually try it. So yeah, I think it's maybe it, could this be a situation where it's like we all want faster, better, cheaper horses because we don't know we want an automobile, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, but everybody does want better battery life. I don't even know that people really care that it's faster. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's so fast. Just, but yeah, just give us better battery life. Well, All since right. everybody always goes back to the Westworld phone, I'm going to, you know, th- th- that's like the, the, the ideal of the folding phone. You know, I've noticed that when they use it, you know, when they have it in their hands in its folded mode, that's when they're using it as a phone. But when they open it, that's usually when they lay it on the table and they want to show somebody something. It's not like something like, you know, let me open it like a newspaper on the train or something like that. It's it's more of a, you know, display. So I could also see people using that to watch movies or or something like that. I mean, it has its uses, but I, I still feel like it's gimmicky. Um, I mean, maybe Apple will be able to show us how it's done, but all all of them I've seen so far look 
big, even when they've tried to make them thin. They're going to be fragile because, you know, you can't really put a case on these things the way they are at the moment. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, there's all kind of drawbacks. They're expensive. My gosh, y'all used to bash Apple for being expensive. Um, yeah, so all that kind of stuff. The, the speed thing's an, an uh, interesting point because, you know, as we know, people aren't upgrading their phones as frequently as they used to be. So there seems to be some satisfaction in terms of the speed right now. Mm -hmm. So, but, yeah. you know, we're, we're in a different circle. For us, speed, we always want faster, you know, faster phones, faster computers. So, but yeah, I think that in terms of the general population, you know, mm -hmm. how much faster can Instagram get? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it can. So, going back yeah. to what Jason said about the, you know, you don't know if you want, you know, if you just, that you just want faster horses, if you want a car or something, you know. Since we do use this, you know, tech all the time, and we do sometimes go back to using older devices like we are today with this iMac, you know, you really realize how slow some of the stuff that's only a couple of years is. And so, you know, it can make a massive difference. Yeah. Uh, another hot take from uh, Still Tortoise, also in response to folding phones, he says that uh, the iPhone SE is a popular form factor, yet Apple has ditched it. That's a strong hint that they're working on a folding phone or similar. I see a market for such device. So he's taking a different take that he thinks that, you know, he thinks that there is a, a market for the folding phone. You know, I'm sure there There's is. a market for it. I don't know how yes. big that market yes. is. So, yeah. Yeah. Is that a suggestion that that's how Apple will address people who want a small phone? You can have a small phone, but you can open it up big. Yeah, I wasn't sure because I don't. Line of reasoning I think there. his line of reasoning was, uh, the while the iPhone SE is popular, it, it's popular, but they're willing to sacrifice it because they think this other form factor is going to be more popular. I think that's I think. what his his reasoning is. Could be. So, hmm. <laughs> all, all I know is when when I take the train or the bus or anything and i see everybody how they handle their phones i see a lot of shattered screens yeah. and i see a lot of people walking around with phones in their back pocket yeah <laughs> i think about a folding phone for any of these situations and i think it's going to be a disaster it is. Yeah. <laughs> so well we want it, the way the folding phone works would is there a worry about shattered screens then because it's using um, just that you've got screen all over the place like oh, right. <laughs> and no real way to cover it yeah. they actually i mean the the huawei one which uses a plastic screen yeah would, would have less chance of shattering it has problems with plastic ripple but it doesn't you know yeah this this actual sheen screen shatter should be less of a thing that that samsung one they've got a screen on the outside two screens on the inside a hinge and all the, uh oof. <laughs> you can't put a case on it yeah so, uh, our next hot take, our next and last hot take for the show is, comes from at Dator92, and it's in response to a Dan Morin uh, article that appeared on Friday talking about the new Mac Pro, mm -hmm. and what uh, Dator92 says is that one of the things he loathes about Apple is its unwillingness to publish a product roadmap. I th and as someone who's covered Apple for a very long time, yeah. <laughs> it should not, because like when it announces thing ahead of time, as we see with the air power, it messes up. I mean, I don't think there should be a product. I like, and part of that is the whole mystique of Apple. It's like, ooh, ah, oh, look at this new cool thing they've given us. No, I, I, they should keep on what they're doing. 
and doesn't give their competitors something to shoot for. Right. Like you don't know right. <laughs> if 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 you knew what Apple was going to come out with next year, then somebody could rush to check those boxes, even if they do a poor job of it to check those boxes and get something on the market before them. I sometimes think so, we already see a bit of that with the rumor mill with yeah, uh, sure. yeah, that you know, these rumors come out and surprise Samsung comes out with something like that, you know, a couple of months later. So Yeah. On the other hand, yeah. we sit here and we go, Oh yeah, the iMac hasn't been op- updated in two years. When is it going to be updated? And yep. we don't know. So nobody knows. So just go go ahead and buy I th- one. <laughs> I think it matters. I think it would be less of an issue on the uh, the Mac road, for, you know, I side well, than Macs, the iOS right, side. Right. Um, at least now, where they're reliant on sort of Intel's parts and stuff, and you have an Intel roadmap, and they would be able to tell you, you know, that in exi- their existing form factors, that there's a new iMac coming or something. Um, but I guess you know they just don't want people to wait and buy, <laughs> not buy one now. Um, yeah, and and if they start to move away from Intel's chips and start to use some of their own in Macs, then we won't even have that to look forward to. We won't even be able to go, well, we know what Intel's doing, we'll so be, we know what Apple's doing. We won't even have that. Yeah, we'll be further in the dark then. So. Yeah. So. Well, that just about does it for this week's episode of the Macworld Podcast, episode 642. Back to audience. So. Episode <laughs> <That was> 642, <laughs> back to audience. I'd like to thank Blake Johnson. Thank you. Thanks to Jason Cross. Thank you. I'd like to thank you, the audience, for tuning in. Tune in next week for the Macworld podcast. Uh, you can get it on iTunes. You can check out our SoundCloud account. You can also get the podcast on our website at macworld.com. Join us next week. <laughs>